The role of the modern day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I get a chance to introduce my dear friend, Bob Dull. Bob, every single time we have key individuals coming on, key leaders, we have to bring in our best interviewer, Bob Dull. And today we have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Roger Parrott, who serves as the president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi, since 1996. He has written a wonderful book called Opportunity Leadership, and I am Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. And so, Bob, I'm going to turn it over to you to sit down and talk with Roger about this wonderful, which I know you had a small little part in being part of this book as well, too. So, Bob, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Tommy. And uh, Dr. Roger Parrott, welcome. Um, Roger is not just uh, an author and uh, a guy who thinks out of the box and president of Bellhaven University. He's also a friend. Uh, and uh, having spent time on his campus and... Uh, uh, talking to Roger, I'll never forget our dinner together, Roger, over um, leadership and career and all those good things. You warmed my heart and had some wonderful advice to me. And I thank God every time I think about that and our, 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 our conversation that was so well-timed. Thank you. I do too. That was a that was a fabulous evening. And then the next day, you spoke to all of our graduates. So we got to award to you an honorary doctorate, which was yeah. a really treat for me. And you know what? No one, no one calls me Dr. Dahl. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger, um, thanks for writing this book. I, I enjoyed it cover to cover um, in preparation for our, our brief conversation today. I, I've tried to divide, um, time permitting, our conversation into three sections. Number one, opportunity leadership. You know, what is it and, and how does it work? Two, how God uses opportunity leadership. And three, if we have time, some objections uh, that people uh, have uh, that I know you have great responses to. So that's the contour of the next few minutes uh, with your uh, concurrence. I want to start with uh, the scripture you wrote on the first page of the first section. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Great way to introduce this subject. Roger, what is opportunity leadership? Well, opportunity leadership is really living out the theology we all believe. And we all believe God is sovereign, and God is in control of our future, and God is directing our paths. We all believe it. 
But unfortunately, in leadership, we're not living it. And I think it is because we have been bought into the model that the world follows, that we need to be planning our future. We need to be anticipating every roadblock that could come. We need to be anticipating every challenge that could be out there. And that's how God will use us the best. And my premise is no. What we're doing with that is we're limiting what God can do because we're sticking within our thoughts. And I'm so glad you started with the scripture because we're staying within the best of our thinking, which is fine, but it's it's a pale comparison to what God really wants to do if we would trust him for the future. Uh, let me uh, read one of many uh, quotes that I love. This is actually a full paragraph uh, and then just have you... Uh... Comment. Opportunity leadership is grounded in waiting in anticipation for God-given opportunities to develop that mesh seamlessly with our mission, gifting, and capacity, propelling us to destinations that are heavenly ordained. As a result, we become leaders who hone traits that enable us to become highly sensitive to the wind of God and create an organizational culture allows us to respond to new opportunities with urgency, adeptness, and energy. You summarize so much in that paragraph. What would you say? Well, you, you pulled out the key paragraph of the whole book because <laughs> as I got into writing this, now I've lived this for 20 years and I was not, I was a planner. So I had done the traditional long range planning. I'd had the blue ribbon committees and I'd, I'd had laid out the, the 10 year goals and the five year goals. I'd done all that. And when I moved away from that 20 years ago now and started to live this out, and then as I got ready to write the book and, and tell kind of how this works out in real, real time, I realized this really is a different model of leadership. So it's more than just kind of tinkering around the edges of, hey, change this skill or do this a little differently. It's a different model of leadership. And so the editor said, you got to define this. What's the model? Well, that you just read the paragraph. That's the <laughs> definition of opportunity leadership. And I think the key may be in that first phrase, or opportunity leadership is grounded in waiting and anticipation for God, God-given opportunities to develop. And it is that waiting which in anticipation that is key. We all can talk about waiting, but so often we don't wait in anticipation. We just wait because we're stuck. And uh, this is a waiting in anticipation that we know God will bring opportunities. And, and several years ago, I had a group of international leaders come visit because they knew what we were doing. And they kind of followed it. And they wanted to come see it. They spent three days on our campus. And, um, and um, you know, I'm always amazed. Some of my international friends can be so insightful because they just see the world differently than Americans do, which is so helpful. And uh, and one of the international friends from South America, at the end of this three-day discussion, we kind of got to the point in the meeting where we've all been, where you know, kind of everything's been said and we've kind of been through it all and, and there are no more points to make. And it was kind of quiet, late at night. And he said something almost to himself, but really to me and to the group, he said, you really expect God to bring opportunities, don't you? And it really hit me. Yeah, you know, we got to the point we really expect them to come. And I think a lot of us in leadership 
don't really expect God to bring opportunities. We think we've got to make the opportunities and God will bless them. So we're going to start with this waiting and anticipation, and then we're going to mesh seamlessly, which really gets into the whole question of, of how we choose which are really God's opportunities and God's best versus the other. We can talk about that a little bit if we have time. But uh, but yeah, the, the definition to understand, this is not just an add-on to what we do. Now, I'm not saying throw out what you've learned from Harvard Business Review and all that stuff. That's all good stuff. And I do that stuff. This is, though, a different model of how to implement real leadership. So you go on to say, and you just hinted at it, that uh, relinquishing planning is the best thing you've done uh, for not just your profession, but your life, but also the scariest. <laughs> it Tell is. us about the scariest part. <laughs> Well, I, I have literally sat in my office at the opening of a semester and wondered what in the world are we going to do this year? I really have. And wonder, now, now, again, I want to differentiate for, for everybody that this, the planning I'm talking about is future planning, destination planning, I call it, not operational planning. I mean, at my university, yeah, we're going to have a soccer team and we're going to plan for that. We're going to teach uh, history. We're going to plan for that. And we're going to plan for what we know. What we don't plan are destinations. And so, yeah, it is scary sometimes to think, well, what are we going to do? But I am amazed over and over and over again, God brings opportunities I never expected, never could have planned, and are far greater than anything I could have anticipated. But it's the single best decision I've ever made. It gives you a freedom in leadership. It's not my job to determine what the future of Bellhaven is going to be. My job is to be a good steward of what God has given me and trust him for that future. And so there's a freedom in that. There is a complete dependency on God in it that is really wonderful. And it works whether it's a university or it's a church or in a corporate world, it, for Christians, it works as well. You, you mentioned the word dependency, uh, which is a good one. Uh, as COVID hit, a number of us in various spheres of life were forced to become more dependent on God for the future rather than leaning on our plans because our plans couldn't happen. Do you think COVID has helped people be more opportunistic in their leadership? I, I think there are a lot of good things that come out of COVID. Now, obviously, it's been terribly devastating to a lot of people. And and uh, my daughter's one of the longest suffering COVID long patients in the world. She's had COVID long for over two years. And so I know the damage of COVID. But if you can get past that and look at what it does to culture and society and to ministry and up and and business, yes, I think it's great. And part of it is... First of all, anybody who had a long-range plan before COVID doesn't have one now. Yes. So it broke up the whole planning routine because nobody planned COVID. So, so you and and secondly, we've seen what we can do. Those who kept trying to implement their plan during COVID are the ones who suffered. Those who were innovative and said, "Forget the plan, let's do this differently," are the ones who are thriving. Now there are a lot of organizations thriving out of COVID, but I think it taught us a level of innovation that we've kind of forgotten. We, we we are so stuck on this planning, we think if we can't anticipate it all ahead of time, it's not any good. And COVID taught us, yeah, 
Churches can have ministry without a Sunday morning service, and schools can teach without students in a classroom, and restaurants can serve without their dining room being open, and, you know, big events can happen without people being actually present. There, there are things that can be done. We can innovate, and I think when you get rid of planning, all of a sudden, the, the, the lid comes off on innovation because you're not stuck on the plan. We often mention Jesus was a great leader. Did he practice opportunity leadership? Oh, did he ever? You know, it's, it's, it's so fun when you study this concept in light of the life of Christ, because so often we read he was headed one place and somebody pulled him someplace else, or he was headed someplace and somebody touched the hem of his garment and he stopped. And, and so his life and ministry was a life of interruptions. And that's really hard for planners because planners are trying to achieve the goal that they set out around conference tables to achieve. When they get interrupted, they don't like it because that's not what we were here to do. No, the interruptions are where the real ministry is. And I tell my team all the time, the more you're interrupted by students or constituencies or others, the more you're interrupted, the more vital you are to the kingdom, because that's where the real ministry will happen. That's what Jesus did. Now, when he set his eyes on the, the ultimate reason for his coming, which was to go to Jerusalem and to face uh, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. He wouldn't waver from that. But all everything else in between, he was always in flux. And so often we read, you know, he, he, he had a big crowd, so he got into a boat and went across to the other side to get away from them. Well, he got over there, and then other things happened. And, and then Peter walked on the water. You know, all this, none of that was planned. And if we can just let go and relax a little bit about the plan, we'll be shocked at what God can really do. Amen. One of my favorite chapters and my last question in this, what is opportunity leadership was sailboats versus powerboats. Your illustrations there just brought it crisp and clear. Uh, why don't you tell us what that illustration is about? Yeah, well, when I got into this for my campus, I needed to give people uh, an image they could hang on to. They're not going to remember the definition and, and of course, it hadn't even been written at that time. And they're not going to, you know, the fine points is they're not going to understand. So what what's the model? What can they understand? And I happened to be down at the beach and I saw this beautiful sailboat go by and everybody on the beach stopped to look and all this kind of stuff because, you know, a sailboat always attracts us. And then, and then not long after that, these powerboats came through and they churned up the water and they were noisy and polluting and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, look at the contrast. And so our model is we want to be a sailboat that's prepared to catch the wind of God and goes wherever God's wind takes us, rather than a powerboat that goes where we think God wants us to go and ignores the wind. And the challenge is that's what the world does, is they create powerboats to go where they think they should go. And the Christian church and Christian leaders have gotten really good at building good powerboats. And so we're kind of proud of them. And But when you get in a powerboat, you can completely ignore the wind. The wind doesn't matter. You go right past it. You don't even sense it. When you're in a sailboat, you are so attentive to the wind and attentive to what's going on around you. That's when you can really catch the wind of God. And often I find that the wind of God blows very gently at first. 
And if you are not sensitive to it, if you're not attuned to it, and so the book really lays out in the, those opening chapters kind of this model in a lot of detail about the difference between a sailboat and a powerboat, because a sailboat takes a real sailor in order to operate a powerboat. Most anybody can jump in and go. But when we get that concept, now we all want to catch the wind of God. We just don't do it. And yeah. you know, it's it really comes down to what I call theology of trust. We've got to genuinely trust God for what that future is and that his wind will blow and blow the right direction. Which is a perfect segue to this second section, uh, how God uses opportunity leadership. And again, I'm going to read a quote which picks up on right on what you just said. As Christian leaders, we need to spend more time listening, dreaming, and praying to find God's destinations for our ministry future, rather than laboring at whiteboards, attempting to draw out schematics of God's best for us. Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, other, the second feels more productive, and I think that's why we're drawn to it. And we're also drawn to it for some other reasons. Again, if we have time, we'll talk about them um, in your third segment about about the limitations of this, but, but yeah, I, I think we've got to understand that in trusting God for opportunities, there is no plan B. This is the plan. And, uh, you know, as I would remember, especially in the early days of telling my board or my faculty or others about this and how we were going to go, you know, they pull me aside and they go, you know, you're so right. We want to, God is sovereign. We're going to trust God for the future. We really are. And we're not going to plan. But if that doesn't work, what's the real plan? And there's no real plan. That is the plan. There's no plan B. Yeah, you've got to expect God will bring opportunities and, and really live out this theology of trust. Part of it you just alluded to is, is the comfort that we get in the whiteboards. Here's another quote. Most people would rather live in mediocrity than grapple with a change that pushes them into uncertainty. Uncertainty is uncomfortable. Tell us more. It's it's very uncomfortable. And people, you know, don't like change. And, of course, after COVID, we're all waiting for it to get back to normal. It's not going to be normal after COVID. And after any organization that's vibrant and and fulfilling and doing great things, it's not going back to normal. And, and helping, I think, in leadership, if you want to get results, helping people understand that uh, is critical. I, I brought in a consultant a number of years ago to speak to all my faculty and staff. And, and uh, in his opening sentence, he, got, he, he did everything that I hoped he'd do and was worth the price. He started and he said, friends, everything's changing and it's never going back how it was. And once we understand that change is part of God's plan, and we accept that, we can get out of this mediocrity. But I do think people would rather live in mediocrity. They know it doesn't work. People know planning doesn't work, but they stay with it. We live in this mediocrity rather than, than taking the risk and really trusting God for something different. And, uh, and you know, in the book, I talk a lot about how do you do that? Because that's, it's easy to preach, but it's a lot harder to do. And, and I know that people who are going to read this book are going to have, to have to actually put this into place. So how's that process work? How do you bring that through the culture and all that kind of thing? And, and I think it, it can do it. And, and the book was written so it's not just for 
a church, although it works at a church, is not just for a ministry, although it works in a ministry. It even works for, for Christian people in a corporate world. And one of the endorsers of the book that I love is, is Jim Morgan, uh, president of Krispy Kreme, who did the huge turnaround for that company. He was president. They were nearly bankrupt, brought him back to a thriving company. And he said, this is exactly what we did at Krispy Kreme. And uh, I never imagined when we wrote it that that's the kind of stuff that a big corporate like that would do and be successful. But I think Christian leaders, even when they're not in a Christian ministry, can follow a biblical model of leadership and have success. You mentioned going from where you might be as a planner to where you might like to be after reading this book. What does that look like? You talk about uh, gradual shifts. How, how do you get from where many people are to uh, opportunity leadership in its fullest? Yeah, it, it is a process and it won't happen overnight. Um you know, it starts with a commitment of the senior leader has to be committed to the concept and you have to believe it's really can happen. And then you need to start aligning mission with it. And uh, the, the, there's a chapter in the book called Staying in Your Lane. And really the focus of that is that we want to uh, align opportunities with our mission, gifting and capacity, all three. And so we know clearly what our mission is. And what our gifting is, what we're good at doing, what we've got the people to do, and then what our capacity is. And, um, you know, when those line up, then an opportunity is right. And, and it's very easy to drift out of our lane into somebody else's lane that looks a lot like our lane, but is not our lane because we're not watching those things. So I think we're doing that. Then we're starting to make, as part of that process, a, a set of decisions that are based on walking away from planning slowly. And one of those that I encourage leaders to do is just make a list of the significant things that happened to your organization, your ministry, your church in the last five years and track how many of those were planned and how many of those were opportunities. And you'll find over and over again, they were opportunities. And uh, I, 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 there's a Christian school that I talked with not too long ago and they said, you know, I can't get my board to give up planning. So we still give them every year a list of the opportunities that came. And that list is always better than the plan list. They still can't walk away from the planning. That's okay. But we're still capturing opportunities. So I think it's that. And then it's a, a matter of role redefinition of the people within the organization and how they operate, empowering a small team, helping them to capture it, broadening that out, showing success highlighting opportunities as surprises from God, et cetera, et cetera. And then it becomes a style issue after that. And, uh, and so, you know, and the book lays out kind of this process of the, the nature of organizations that can do this well and six characteristics of those and then six talents of the kind of leaders. And these are not talents to change out what you already do, but they're to layer on top of what you already do to make you a better leader for getting results. Uh, those two sections were great. I wish we had time to get into them. Uh, coming back to, you know, how God uses opportunity uh, leadership. Um, he's sovereign. We all say that, but at least the, the Adam in me every once in a while wants to go back to, no, I'm in control. And that, that fight inside the mind and the heart uh, can be an obstacle to moving from, 
extraordinary planning to opportunity leadership. Can, can you reflect on that, Roger? Yeah, and, and part of the challenge is if we say as a leader, well, I'm going to give up destination planning, well, what am I going to do in its place? Where's my value added? What do I bring if I'm not out there giving this vision? And uh, th there are, and, and I go into that pretty detailed in the book because that's a big issue because leaders are afraid if I give up this control, this planning process, other than in, in a ministry, other than fundraising, where's my value added? And so there are other things and, and leading this opportunity takes much more demand of a great leader than it does a planning process. But I, I had a note from a, from a university president last week who had read the book and he said, I am so glad to read this book because I've always felt embarrassed I don't plan. And he said, you've helped me understand this is God's way to do it. And, and I think there is this dependency that we think we have to plan. And, and for nonprofit ministries and churches, our boards expect us to plan because our boards tend to be business people. And in their businesses, they have plans. And uh, we're afraid of what will happen if we don't have a plan. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, that's why you've got to tiptoe a little bit into this to bring people on board. I, I wrote a scenario in the book because, uh, you know, the book's been called Radical, and I don't think it's radical because I've been doing it for 20 years. And so I kind of got, you know, frog in the kettle. I got warm as, a, as the heat went up and, and didn't notice it. But I wrote a scenario in the book about a corporate CEO, Fortune 500, who goes into New York and uh, has the annual – um, meeting of the shareholders where they give out the plans and they know there's going to be a vision laid out and all what's ahead for the year. And they all say in their whispers, they know it doesn't work and they never hit the plans and they apologize for them and they just ignore them and go on the next time. But it's what's expected. And so the, the president of the company gets up and makes this big announcement, you know, normally you expect to hear the great plans this year and where we're going and what we anticipate. But this year, I've got something even better. We're going to just trust God for opportunities. Now, we're going to do the best we can to take care of what we know God's given us. We're going to serve the customers right. But we don't know if we're going to have more customers next year or fewer customers. We don't know if we're going to have new products or just the ones we have now or cut some. We don't know. But we're going to trust God for opportunities, and it's going to be wonderful. And then I said in the scenario, within moments of the first tweets going out, the stock goes in the tank, the senior leadership starts to quit, and by the end of the day, the CEO is fired. And uh, that's kind of the scenario we're afraid of. If we get rid of planning as a leader, well, what do we do? Well, you know, you'll lead like you never led before when you get rid of planning. But it, it is a, a very uh, uh, scary but thrilling way to lead. So one of my favorite examples in your book about how your life experience and how God used this in your life is football at your school. Yeah. Can you, can, can you give a summary of that? Well, it, it was funny because when I came to Bellhaven uh, uh, 26 years ago, I initiated the planning process, appointed the Blue Ribbon Committee. They worked for 18 months, did all the stuff, you know, and 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 did the usual planning document that come out to five or six goals and then the sub goals under each. Well, one of the things I knew I wanted to do eventually at Bellhaven was to start um, American football because I'd, I'd been part of 
college and played football and football in the South is a big deal. But I didn't want to have the fight with a planning committee and the whole process about football. So I kind of buried it way down in the document and really didn't get anybody's attention. So just had finished this thing. I mean, just finished it. And a couple of weeks later, went to graduation and after graduation, ran into a guy that I had hired at a fo- as a football coach at another school. And I said, well, what in the world are you doing here? I thought you were coaching up there. And he said, no, they fired me after you left. And he said, I moved back home to Mississippi. And it just, Bob came out. I, I didn't, I, it just came out. I said, well, how would you like to start a football team? <laughs> and so uh, he said, I'd love to. And <laughs> we started this thing. And then the legendary coach of Mississippi State happened to be head of the parks in Miss, in for the state of Mississippi. I got acquainted with him, and he was my guide all through the process, and nobody even knew it. God just opened up one door after another, and we're celebrating 25 years of football this fall <laughs> uh, because it wasn't it was deep down the plan. But once we got rid of the plan, we could do a lot of things. It's just kind of fun to see it happen. Great, op- great example of opportunity leadership. And uh, the few minutes we have left, a couple of uh, uh, objections. I'm sure there's some people watching this saying, eh, you know, I've been I've been schooled in how to lead and uh, I'm skeptical about all this. You know, I, I always was taught if you fail to plan, you will plan to fail. If I aim at nothing, I'm certain to hit it. I mean, how do you refute those kinds of things, Roger? Well, they know it doesn't work it down deep. They just absolutely know it doesn't work, and it doesn't. It And at best, it gives us mediocre results. I think in if we are stuck on planning, we aim for targets we know we can hit. And I gave um, – I did something with my board. We were about 10, 12 years into planning, and at that point, they knew we didn't plan. And so I went into a board meeting, I passed out a piece of paper, and it said five-year goals. And uh, number one was to increase the enrollment 43%. Number two was to raise $21 million of uh, gifts, which was for us a lot of money. Number three was to build $31 million of new buildings. Number four, seven new undergraduate programs. Number five, eight new graduate programs. Huge objectives, huge for us, huge objectives. And then I got to the end, I said, you know, that is not the plan for the next five years that is what we actually did the last five years. I now, remember the, that. <laughs> the difference is if I had brought you that plan five years ago, we would have cut it down by two-thirds to what we knew we could do. So we're we're aiming for targets we can hit by planning. We're homogenizing our strengths. We all have things we are in our church, our ministry, our company, things we're good at and things we're not as good at. And we don't build on those strengths because – Planning has to get everybody equally involved. You know, Bellhaven is a, a leader internationally in the arts. We're one of only 43 schools, uh, 30, excuse me, 36 schools accredited, nationally accredited in all four of the major arts, music, theater, visual art, and dance. And so we work at really high ends of the arts with only evangelical school doing this. Well, we were building that program when God was opening opportunities, when we weren't funding other things and other programs were suffering and, and buildings weren't attended to, but, but those areas were getting brand new buildings. Well, if you homogenize in a plan, which planning always does, you don't build on your strengths. I think thirdly, planning focuses on deficiencies. When you do planning, you think about what you don't have. When you do opportunities, you think about what you do have. 
And if we'll focus on the goodness of God to us and what he's given us, how we can build on that, it's amazing what he can do. And then, you know, and then, and then planning builds unrealistic expectations. Uh, you know, I built a lot of buildings and one of the things I never do anymore is to get an architectural rendering because first of all, they cost money and I don't like spend the money. But secondly, they draw this perfect building and no physical facility will ever measure up to the perfectly drawn building they do. And the, the same thing is true with new employees. You know how we all hire a new employee and we say, well, once so-and-so gets here, then that problem is going to be fixed. We idealize them so much. No new employee can live up there. I always tell my team, you know, new employees can only disappoint us because nobody can be as perfect as what we imagine they'll be. Well, planning does the same thing. And that list goes on and on of, of just things that limit what we can do. Uh, people say, well, I've got to have the planning structure that limits dialogue. Absolutely not. I have so much more dialogue by not having a planning structure than I ever have by having a planning structure. So there's a whole bunch of reasons to get rid of planning. You've thought about this very, very extensively. So, Roger, if I'm waiting on God, might I get lazy? No, you won't get lazy because God will bring opportunities. God absolutely will bring opportunities. I run like crazy with my tongue hanging out because I get so many opportunities on top. of I got two right now big projects that were not even on my radar six weeks ago, not even on the radar. And all of a sudden we are, we're running hundred miles an hour. God will bring opportunities. Now you have to get into it and you have to trust God for it because he's not going to bring them until he knows you're going to do something with it. If you're going to wait for the opportunity and then you're going to run back to the planning table, he's not going to give you more opportunities, but if you'll actually, implement. I mean, one of the chapters of the book is, is uh, titled Speed Wins. And uh, and you got to embrace speed. And part of moving quickly is, is part of capturing opportunities. So if you will really use the opportunities God will bring you, he'll bring more and more and more. Sometimes it's a person you hire. Sometimes it's a relationship you run across. Sometimes it's a project. Sometimes it's a stillness and a waiting, and that's okay. There are lots of different ways God will speak and use us. God does not waste consecrated people. God wants to give them more abundantly, but we're taking we're taking the crumbs on the table because we're so stuck to the table with our planning process. So well said. If someone's listening and says, you know, Dr. Parrott, I'm not a leader. Is this book for me? How would you respond? I think, I think it is because um, I, I think it is because this takes uh, this takes a group. You cannot do this simply as a CEO. It's got to be embraced by all. And uh, and I think this book, this concept, also works in families. How many of us have a plan for our kids, and we work so hard to force them into that plan that either they rebel or something else happens? And you know, kids are going to have their own way. God designed them differently. Uh, our communities, uh, there are lots of different places where this fits. It's not simply a structured organization where it fits. And uh, I think some of the best comments I've received so far have been from parents who say, yeah, I've got to trust God for what he's going to do in my kid's life and not try to force them into a plan that I conceive or they even conceive. Amen. Last question. Given that you've been practicing opportunity leadership for some time, does this impact 
the kind of people you look to hire for Bellhaven? Oh, does it ever. I, I love generalists, people who can do a lot. And we we just adjust and change responsibilities all the time. We have a very flat organization so that we bring together people who need to be together on a project. We don't have a lot of structure. We don't have hardly have any ongoing committees uh, that serve. And I get people who are comfortable in that and people who say yes when opportunities come. And one of the keys to opportunity leadership is, you know, one of the initial reactions is yes. In planning, the initial reaction is probably no. And uh, so I look for people like that. I look for people who have a, have a uh, have a ability to do a lot of different things rather than specialists. Now, I need specialists in certain areas, and I understand that. But especially at the top-level leadership, I'm looking for people who are extremely flexible. And I've got a team, thankfully, who just hits on all cylinders with this stuff. It took a long time to build it. It wasn't always that way. Roger, can't thank you enough for this. Um, we've been speaking with Dr. Roger Parrott, president of Belhaven University, and for this uh, meeting, author of Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. Uh, I've enjoyed this book. I commend it to your attention. Roger, I'm going to give one to uh, the CEO of the organization for which I work. Thank you for all you've done for the kingdom at Belhaven in particular and for this book. God bless you. Thank you so much, Bob, and thanks for your friendship. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with the Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.